Hi everyone, from Impact Alpha Media, this is Returns on Investment, a show about the impact investing marketplace. Live, on tape, from New York, I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company LiquidNet. And we're all together today. With me, as always, is Imogen Rose Smith, a senior writer with Institutional Investor Magazine. Hello, Imogen. Hi, Brian. And by the magic of aviation technology, we have in the room with us David Bank, who is editor-in-chief of Impact Alpha. Hi, David. Happy to be here, Brian. On today's show, we're going to talk about the outlook for clean energy. I know you're all excited. According to Bloomberg New Energy Finance Research, in 2015, nearly $350 billion was invested around the world in clean energy, wind, solar, and smart tech. But this investment fell to nearly $290 billion in 2016. That's a drop of almost 18% in real dollar terms. David, should we be worried about this decline? Well, certainly, Brian, because the estimates around the time of the Paris Accords a couple of years back were that a trillion dollars a year was needed to fulfill that global agreement. So a decline is obviously not what the clean energy world has been looking for. But especially, I would say, especially the first year after the Paris Accords. But I would say you have to parse that number a little bit. And the uh, part of the decline, about half of the decline, is a function of the reduction in the cost of the components. The so solar panels have gotten much cheaper. Wind power has gotten much cheaper. And so the number and the scale of projects actually increase slightly, even though the dollar value of those projects decrease. Now, obviously, if the dollar value had gone up and the projects had gone up, you know, we would have been in even better shape. The other part of that is that uh, J China and Japan, which had been on a major building boom for renewables, uh, cooled off last year and they're sort of digesting the projects they already had in the pipeline. So Imogen, what do you make of this? Is this good news or is this bad news? Well, I'm actually really excited about the clean energy opportunity and energy investment and energy transition as an investment opportunity, you know, particularly for institutional asset owners. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, what, where, where can you really have impact investments that make returns and that, that people can invest at scale. And to me, the clean economy is key to that. And I think that, you know, particularly potentially with the public sector, particularly in the US stepping back, the level of investment opportunities for private sector capital is huge. And you do, you have, you know, solar as a parity in something like 15 states now. There's a huge recognizable need there. There's a great diversity of projects and opportunities. And it's things that private sector investments and private sector investors with expertise can invest in. So, you know, the, the, the statistical decline from, from one year doesn't concern me. I think that you're seeing a lot of very serious, very good, very talented investors being excited about this opportunity. That said, it's also important to recognize that you're going to see an inflation in the value of oil and coal assets and high carbon assets, and that there's going to be there's going to be a run on those types of investments, and there likely will be a bubble there. But it's also clear to me that over the long term, that bubble will likely burst and it will be institutional asset owners who are going to be left holding the bag. And is, that's the concept of stranded assets? It, it's the concept, exactly. So the concept of stranded assets is basically this idea that when when a price is put on carbon, there will be all these, typically it's associated with corporations, so there will be all these companies like Exxon that have all these assets on their books that have suddenly become value, valueless or a lot more expensive because you have a price on carbon. I actually think when it comes to energy infrastructure, 
and this is a project that I've been working on, but you need to think not just about stranded assets, but something called carbon lock-in. And the idea there is that we are effectively locking ourselves into high carbon infrastructure projects today, something like the Dakota Access Pipeline or Keystone XL. So the dollars that are being committed today, specifically the institutional dollars that are being committed today, are being locked in to build this infrastructure down the road that then we also know isn't going to be usable in the same ways and so likely therefore is not going to be as valuable. So I think that those types of risks are what people need to think about in their investment portfolio. There's another factor going on here. I just wrote a piece about that the, the technology, the, the, the energy story has become a technology story. And the technology. I'm sorry, this piece you wrote, wh where, what publication did it appear in? It appeared in impactalpha.com. Oh, oh impactalpha.com. So readers or listeners can go to that to, to see this piece. It's actually sort of spreading around, so you can find it on medium.com as well. Uh, the premise is that the energy story has become a technology story, and that as um, electric cars get better and cheaper, as battery technology gets better and cheaper, as solar uh, gets better and cheaper, and all kinds of smart grid sort of software intelligence um, increases, that you're seeing the same kind of patterns that you saw as the internet, say, um, started to climb the hockey stick curve of, of growth. And that the lines will cross at some point, and, and that, in fact, the demand for oil may drop much more precipitously than people thought as electrification of cars takes hold, that the stranded assets that Imogen was just talking about could come much quicker than some people are supposing. It'll come well, slowly, 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 and then all of a sudden. Exactly. And that's like Bob Litterman's point. Bob Litterman is a former head of risk at Goldman Sachs, and he's done a lot of work on this. And what he will tell you is, is that the stranded asset risk is today. It's like it's the it's the investments that you're building up now that are at risk. Over time, that risk is going to decrease as the recognition becomes greater. But what's interesting about the technology piece is that, you know, clean tech has been a bad word in investing for the last decade. Clean tech has been a dirty word? It has been a dirty word, indeed. See what I did there? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. clean tech, but I call it a dirty word. Yeah. Yeah, well done. Go, go. So clean tech has been a dirty word for investing for the last decade. Um, and that is still the case. In fact, almost more so. There are very, very few. There's about three significant VC investors. Gates is one. Um, Skull is another through Capricorn. Doing true clean tech venture investing. And is, is that because they were scared of like the cylindras yeah, and all those? Yeah. And they, they, people lost a lot of money and you know it was, it was widely believed that this is a bad thing to do as people still believe that. And there are reasons to believe it. But what you're seeing is technology becoming an interesting opportunity further along the risk curve. And that that's where people are seeing the opportunity. But what I also think is interesting about the energy transition is it's not just technology, it's infrastructure, right? And again, my friends, the institutional investors, they can get behind infrastructure. They can get behind the idea of like, you know, water systems, something that's gonna pay them a yield, gonna pay them a return. So it doesn't look like this very scary, different, high risk investment opportunity. In fact, what it looks like is a nice steady return stream and a long-term asset so long as you have investors who know what they're doing. The other thing that's interesting in the in the solar industry in particular is it's a it's a boom and bust cycle, and uh, uh, a lot of investment goes in to build up solar capacity. The plants that the fabs that actually turn out the panels, um, and the price drops precipitously. The American makers of solar uh, panels, uh, you know, have taken a, a, a real hit. Then the projects, as Imogen says, ramp up, and the demand increases, and the prices go back up, and then more people get into the market, and it crashes again. So solar has been a very boom and bust uh, industry over the last 
decade or so, and we're now in a. It, we, we, we've got low prices now, but we're about to hit a, a, another. Um, but also, by the way, constraint. so has oil, right? I mean, oil has been a huge boom, boom and bust investment cycle. And some of this is just coming to terms with the nature and the idiosyncrasies of a new asset class. And I think what you ideally what you're going to see is instead of investors being like, oh, no, solar is terrible, recognizing that it is a boom and bust strategy, that it is cyclical that there are moments to invest, to invest and moments to step back. There's also, you know, um, adaptation, which is a whole different area of investing that has huge amounts of opportunities in. And actually, just building on your point about the smart tech investment, the energy tech investment, uh, according to the, again, the Bloomberg New Energy Finance Research, the energy smart tech category grew year over year by $10 billion uh, from 2015 to 2017. I'm sorry, 2015 to 2016. So that was the, the only sector uh, between solar, wind, uh, and what they call other, and then energy smart tech. Energy smart tech actually grew. So just positive signs. Just there. to take that one step further, I mean, people who watched the build out of the telecom infrastructure of 20 years ago, there was a lot of talk, you know, the phone lines, the cable systems couldn't handle two way, couldn't handle broadband. Um, it was all impossible. It was going to take you know a long time. And in fact, the same kind of um, objections are now raised on the smart grid on whether there can really be distributed generation. But the folks who same folks who solved the telecom problems are now working on the energy grid problem. So IBM and others have all kinds of plans about um, intelligent agents negotiating, buying and selling of energy across the across the grid and turning the today's you know relatively decrepit and 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 old-fashioned um, electric grid into a true smart grid which is the is, is where that investment that you're seeing is, is going but of course we have to recognize that the difference between now and the telecom era is that we have an administration in the white house and in congress that is vehemently opposed to any discussion of climate change and likely any action on climate change. Well, except there was another interesting development last week, which was the the party elders, not necessarily the the, the faction that's in power, but uh, James Baker. <laughs> that kind of and would be key, though. <laughs> James Baker and and George Schultz and and Henry Paulson and others proposed a Republican version of a carbon tax. 40, Where did I read about that? Forty dollars a ton. Uh, well, we had it on Impact Alpha, but uh, that one was actually well covered in, in, in the New York Times <laughs> and elsewhere because it was seen as um, an attempt to, and they went and had a meeting at the White House. I, I don't know that there was a full readout of, of what the reaction was, but the notion is it's a market-friendly way to at least acknowledge the reality of climate change. I will say the quid pro quo in that carbon, in that plan that they proposed was uh, that the things like the clean power plan that was Obama's way to regulate the the, the coal the, industry, the, the coal industry um, would be taken off the table in return for the carbon tax. So it was basically the the pure free market version, not not the regulatory state version. But at least it was getting Republicans or some Republicans on um, into the climate conversation. And to be fair, you have long had some Republicans in the climate conversation, just not many of them. I also do think that. What you're going to see is you're going to see the states and cities really lead, states, cities and corporations really be the ones to lead the charge in this in absence of a White House or a Congress that wants to do anything. The other interesting thing is whether there could really be a popular mobilization. One of the things that was in that climate uh, plan, the, the, the carbon tax that 
the Republican elders proposed was what they called a carbon dividend. And you can imagine a carbon dividend is a much easier sell than a carbon tax. And the idea was that the revenues that are generated from this tax would be redistributed back to the public, to the to, to households, um, in the form of a dividend. And I think they were saying it was be something like $2,000 a year to you know, defray the in, the increased the cost, cost of, of, of gasoline or whatnot. But, get, you know, but oil prices are low, electricity prices have been falling, so it's actually not a bad time to put a small surcharge on those things for the carbon and then also send it back to households in the form of a dividend. So if you can get a movement going for, you know, give me my carbon dividend, you know, maybe you have the makings of a politically uh, appealing uh, platform. Well, and that does address one of the actual huge problems with the carbon tax is in that it disproportionately impacts the poor. And so that that is... It's an aggressive tax. Yes. Yeah. So there are a bunch of challenges that come with the discussion of the carbon tax conversation. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. So what, what are your reasons for optimism then, David? Final, final answer. Your reason for optimism with this report, and then Imogen, your reason for pessimism. <laughs> I'm optimistic on this one. I am not pessimistic. I am very bullish on clean energy and energy transition. Imogen has always been a a, a, a bull on, on on the on the on the carbon and climate uh, issues, and I think that take, I think, we'll take the counter uh, 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 take then. What's your what what reason for uh, pessimism without using the name Rex Tillerson or Scott Pruitt? Yeah, no, I don't think it's a policy question. I think it's really become uh, a question of whether the finance can get mobilized, um, whether, you know, the cost of capital has been falling for these projects. So, you know, whether investors can continue to, you know, support them even maybe in the face of the policy headwinds um, and uh, whether the rollout can be anywhere near as fast as is required to actually tackle the, the immense uh, challenge on climate. Okay. There you have it. That's going to do it for this episode of Returns and Investment. Thank you, Imogen. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you. If you like the show, uh, be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show a whole bunch, uh, leave us a rating and a comment. It helps other people find the show. For more on the Impact Investing Marketplace, follow Impact Alpha at Impact Alpha on Twitter. Also, check out our website, impactalpha.com. There, be sure to sign up for our, our newsletter. We have a new daily newsletter going out. Uh, David, what's it called? It's called The Brief from Impact Alpha. You can subscribe at impactalpha.com slash the brief. Okay, and that's that's covering all information about the impact investing market. That's deals, uh, that's signals and trends, and then there's a new feature we're calling 2030, which is a look ahead um, at things like the, the, the forecast for, for, for climate uh, action. Okay, nice little plug for that. So if you have any feedback for us, send us an email. You can reach us at info at impactalpha.com. Special thanks to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. In New York, I'm Brian Walsh. On behalf of David Bank and Imogen Rose Smith, thanks for listening to Returns on Investment. We look forward to speaking again with you soon. Take care, everybody. Bye.